Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series. I'm Scott Miller. I'm your host and interviewer each week. You may also know me as the host of Franklin Covey's second podcast called C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller, where each week I'm privileged also to interview people from the C-Suite, from around the world in different industries as well. You may also recognize my mug and my name as the author of the 10-volume series from HarperCollins Leadership called Master Mentors, where volume one and volume two are now released, where each year for 10 years, I write a new book based on this podcast on leadership, where I pick 30 people from the previous year's podcast and tease out a transformational insight that I think they shared, perhaps on or even off air, and with their permission, write a story about it, fast, easy, and breezy. And now volume two is out, highlighting now 60 mentors, 30 of each book, on my way to 10 books in the series. And who knows if today's guest behaves, maybe I will grant him the permission to also be featured in a future volume of Master Mentors. Actually, no, this guy, you're going to love his insight, his practical knowledge, his journey, and really his expertise on something he both, he and I share in common. And that is a passion about living your career deliberately. Stop living your career accidentally and take control over it. He hails from my hometown in Central Florida, Orlando. His name is Andy Storch, and he's the author of the book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. Andy, welcome to On Leadership. Scott, thank you so much. I am honored to be here. I'm such a big fan of yours, and uh, you have had such an illustrious and amazing list of guests Uh, who have come on this show, and I'm just so humbled and honored to be here. I appreciate it. Andy, we're delighted that you're here. Thank you for that. We've been very blessed with uh, uh, people agreeing to join us. You yourself are the host of a wildly popular podcast. You're an author, you're a consultant, you're a coach, you're a parent, you're a partner, and you've got some great insights around something all of us have in common, and that is how do we make the most of our vocation? Not everybody's avocation is their vocation, but today we're going to talk about some of the key principles you write about when it comes to uh, tried and true principles of what are commonalities of great careers. Before we go into your book and the concepts around today's theme, owning your career, owning your life, will you reorient our listeners and viewers to your journey? I'm a follower of yours on social media. You are a frequent keynote speaker, and you have quite vulnerably and transparently talked about your own health journey over the last several years. I would love to know how that's going and what are some lessons all of us might learn about how fragile life is. Yeah, well, I guess it depends on where you want to go with this journey, but just the last couple of years have been, you know, probably an eventful journey for most of your listeners or most people around the world, right? We had a a pandemic that, that shut down the world in 2020. And at that time, I was in the middle of writing this book and building a business as a leadership trainer and facilitator, traveling all over the world, running workshops. And that pandemic shut down my whole business, but it also gave me an opportunity to really focus in on writing this book and my mission of teaching, inspiring more people to own their careers. Of course, the challenge at that time uh, was that you couldn't really get out there or or do much in the, the physical world. So I started building things in a virtual space. And as I was writing this book, I found out Uh, just uh, a few weeks before I published in November of 2020, so two years ago, uh, I found out that I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, or I got diagnosed with testicular cancer, uh, and later found out that it spread to my stomach and my neck. uh, And that kind of was the challenge that I got to deal with at the time that that was a little bump in the road that uh, 
uh, put a thing, you know, some things on pause when it came to promoting a book and building a business around it. Uh, but the interesting thing that I've learned and a great lesson that I've often tried to share with others is this nature of impermanence and context that we take ownership of our situation, we make the best of our situation. Most things tend not to last forever. And um, I did a lot of things that I'm, I'm happy to share uh, as I went through that experience. Uh, but I'm happy to say that today, two years later, I'm, I'm perfectly healthy. I've been given the, you know, the all clear for my oncologist. And I'm back to living a what I consider to be a happy, wonderful, uh, full life, uh, running a business, um, traveling with my family, and uh, having a lot of fun in the process. Andy, it's genuinely great to hear. I followed your journey on social media. We've been connected professionally for some time, but ironically, we're almost the same age and grew up in the same town, went to different high schools. But it's intriguing that here, 54 years later, our paths are crossing. Let's take a sidebar for a moment. We were about the same age, and as a father of three, my wife and I have three young sons that are 8, 10, and 12. I'm very mm -hmm. cognizant of my impermanence, to quote you. My father passed right. about four months ago myself. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about our health. I mean, a guy in his 50s, what do we need to be looking for when it comes to testicular cancer? Are there signs? Are there any insights you would share with all of the partners and spouses, the women that are out there, and men listening yeah. on people who have dads, what should we know about some of the signs that you went through? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because uh, I believe health and family are paramount. I speak in a lot of organizations about career development and specifically teaching people how to take ownership of their careers. But there's a reason why I called my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, because I think it's very important that we get intentional about taking care of our lives as well. And that when we focus on the really important things like family and health, that allows us to be more productive, to work longer, uh, to have a longer and more productive and fruitful career. And so I think that's really important. Uh, the good news, if you're worried about testicular cancer, Scott, is that it tends to be a young man's disease. It primarily affects men between the ages of 18 and 40. Uh, I was on the old oldest end of that when I found out that I had mine. Um, but in general, I think it's really important. Uh, there's really two parts to this. Number one, is that kind of that early detection. I think it's important to be paying attention when things seem a little bit different, you know, doing that self-examination to see if you have any lumps that didn't used to be there or shouldn't be there. Just as important for women to be checking for these things as well. And then going to see a doctor. I think we as men, especially, tend to sometimes just say, ah, this is, this is nothing. I'm just gonna, you know, walk it off and I'll be totally fine, which is what I did for a period of time until the pain got to be so bad that I finally went to go see a doctor and then found out, uh, that this is what I had. The same thing happened with Lance Armstrong, the famous cyclist who also went through testicular cancer when he was, I think, 19. And he put it off as long as he possibly could till he was basically, uh, you know, bleeding out of his nose. And he finally got the surgery and, and got treatment. The second thing I would say is that through my, my research and learning about this, there's a lot, cancer incidences are increasing. And a lot of it has to do with our nutrition, the food we eat, the way our lifestyles and the environment around us and I think it's important to pay attention to those things, to take care of your health. Um, I talk about this in my book and my keynotes and training programs I do as well, that you need to take care of your health so that you can have a longer, more productive career. This means getting enough sleep, you know, six to eight hours a night, uh, eating a, a healthy, nutritious diet, you know, focusing on whole foods. You won't go down the rabbit hole of all the different diets that are available uh, and moving your body on a regular basis, right? Getting some exercise, even just taking walks in between meetings. And then taking care of your mental health as well, something that's, that's become more prominent and more popular to talk about. Uh, I personally meditate every single day, and I really credit that with my 
uh, increased patience uh, with the kids, as you mentioned, you have some of your own, uh, as well as ability to really be more mindful about things going on in life and get less stressed out about some of the things that are happening um, as we get kind of keep the bigger picture in mind and think about what's most important and really pay attention to that. So um, and this was kind of a, I was always into health and fitness, but this was definitely something that forced me, caused me uh, to really uh, dive deeper into this world, to focus more on what's most important, do a lot more research, make some lifestyle changes, um, and then share those with other people as well. I'm never going to tell anybody how to live, but I always want to provide guidance, inspiration, resources. So I've actually created a document for anyone going through cancer who have loved ones who are going through cancer, uh, which is available on my website, andystorch.com slash cancer, uh, free to download just all of the research that I've done and, and recommendations I have based on my own journey, knowing that everybody's is different. But if I can help a little bit, um, and I'll just add to that, the reason why I created that, um, I firmly believe that everything in life happens for you, not to you. And that everything in life is a blessing, even the challenges, even the hard stuff. And some things are really, really hard. I, I acknowledge that. Um, but I believe that I got the opportunity to go through this experience, through this cancer journey, so that I'm now qualified to be able to help other people who may be going through similar experiences. And I'm not going to take that for granted, which is why I'm always open to talking about this on podcasts, on shows like yours, uh, and why I created this, this document, this resource to share with others. Well, technically, there's no show like ours, but I get your point. So I appreciate you sharing. That was a joke, Andy. I appreciate the best, you sharing it. The best, the best show best, out there. The best. Uh, I think my favorite concept from your book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, is this idea you write about of live life for you. It's a very mm. simple but profound statement. Live life for you. Yeah. Will you uh, riff on that? Yeah, I think there's... Uh, you know, the, one of the big reasons why I wrote the book is there, I, I worked in corporate consulting for more than a decade now, traveled all over the world, worked with leaders in organizations on different continents and different industries. And I learned a lot from people about success and business and finance and those sort of things. But I also observed a lot of people really kind of drifting through their careers, operating in reaction mode, waiting for other people to tell them what to do or where to go. Uh, usually their manager, their boss, but it could also be their parents, their friends, colleagues, whatever it may be, and really kind of uh, reacting and operating and doing things based on what they think society says they should do. And in doing so, I think a lot of people put their dreams aside. They don't go after those big aspirations, those big goals, or they don't even think about what they truly want to do because they're trying to just kind of fit in. They're afraid to take chances, always really afraid of what other people might think or say about them. And when I say that, that I want people to live life for you, live life for them, is I want people to really take time to reflect and think about what it is that you want out of life. What it is that you want out of your career? How do you want to be living your life? What big goals do you have? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are the things that light you up? What are your values and things that you truly care about? And are there certain things that you really want to pursue that you've maybe always thought about or you've dreamed of, or maybe you're just curious about? And can you go out and take a chance and pursue some of those things? Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to go quit their jobs and you know join the circus or whatever their big you know dream might be uh, as an example but i think a lot of people have things that they're thinking about oh i'd like to try getting into marketing or getting into hr or taking on this extra project or writing a book um, so i can be cool like scott miller or you know whatever it may be right and they're often holding themselves back because they're afraid of what other people might think or say or or you know being rejected when 
really, I find we gain most fulfillment when we take ownership, when we're trying new things, when we're growing and we feel like we're contributing and helping others. And many people are passing on the opportunity for that because they're living life for other people, right? For their parents, for their manager, for um, you know their friends, their peers. And this is not to say that we need to act selfish, right? We need to pay attention to what other people need. And I'm a big, big fan and proponent of trying to provide value to everybody that is around us, right? Always being kind and generous and helping other people, because I believe that comes back to you. Um, but we can also live life for ourselves. And um, I mentioned it in my book, and I'm sure you're very familiar, right, with the, the famous book, the, the Top Five Regrets of the Dying, uh, written by Bronnie Ware, uh, where she interviewed people on their, you know, their deathbeds in hospice. And uh, in that book, she said the number one most common regret of the dying is that I regret that I did not live a life true to myself. And I personally just don't want to get to the end of my life and regret that I didn't live life the way I wanted to. And I want to provide some guidance and inspiration for others uh, to live life on their terms as well. Andy, there are several schools of thought around how to have a vision for your career. There's a school of thought that I subscribe to, which is the more deliberate you are, the less accidental you'll be. And that you should have a vision. In fact, I, I teach in a career course that I have, that you should be looking 20, 30 years out. Like what is the mm -hmm. ultimate career and how do you work back from that to build all the skills and talents of where do you ultimately wanna be? It might be the C-suite, it might be an entrepreneur, it might be something else. There's another school of thought is all about serendipity and the, the necessity of kind of going where it takes you, it'll all kind of work out. And I, I think I lean more towards the deliberate nature, recognizing mm -hmm. that there is serendipity in all careers. From your experience in your own career, coaching, speaking around the world and writing, what do you think is the right, if there is a right ingredient on the, the balance between accidental serendipity and being open to unplanned opportunities and kind of having a, fierce focus on, I'm going here, so I need to yep. do this, and then that, and then this, and then that. Talk about that. Yeah, well, for me, I believe the, the right answer is a mix of the two, maybe a little bit more leaning towards your camp there on having that, that clear vision and plan, looking as far out as you can. I think it's really important to have that. I talk about that in a lot of places, including the book and the keynotes I do, that the more clarity you have on a vision for where you want to go in your career, the easier it's going to be to make decisions when they come up along the way, right? When someone offers you a new job, a recruiter calls, or maybe the other side, maybe you get laid off and now you're faced with the decision on what do you do next? It's also easier to make a plan, right? When you think about uh, getting on a plane to fly somewhere, you can always be confident that the pilots in the cockpit know exactly where they're going to go and how to get there, right? Now, there may be challenges that come up along the way. They might run into turbulence or a thunderstorm, and they're going to adjust based on that. Uh, but they're going to get you to the destination uh, using the plan they have in place. And similarly, uh, you wouldn't get, you know, most people when they get behind the driver's seat of their car, they know exactly where they're going to go. And they usually have some type of plan to get there, even if they've outsourced that plan to Google Maps right? They, they have a plan. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people in their careers, they are just kind of drifting along and waiting to see what the next thing is that comes to them. And that there's no, there's nothing that says you can't be quote successful, right? I've seen many people who are moving up the corporate ladder because they're showing up and doing great work and they're being rewarded for that, maybe with promotions or new opportunities. But a lot of times I think many of these people get to a point in their career where they look around and wonder, you know, how did I get to where I was? Did I even want to be here? I just sort of kept accepting the things that came my way versus what you mentioned, 
having that clear vision for where they want to go, making a plan for how to get there. And then you're always working towards something, right? You have clear goals that you're working on. And I find that people that do that tend to make a lot more progress, right? And tend to achieve a lot more. However, that's not to say that challenges aren't going to come up. Things are going to change, right? That stuff happens. And so I think it's important that we have a clear vision and a goal and a plan for how we, where we want to go, but we can't be so rigidly married to the results that we're going to be, um, you know, really upset and really thrown off when things change. When your spouse gets a job in a new city, your company changes strategies, um, you know, something changes with your own situations. Maybe even you get cancer like I did and you need to put your career stuff on pause while you deal with some health or relationship issues. You know, this is real life. This stuff happens. Um, I know you've had Ryan Holiday twice on your show, and I'm a big fan of his and his work and Stoic philosophy. And in Stoic philosophy, they say that, uh, you know, we shouldn't fight reality, right? We need to accept the situation that we're given and then make the best of that situation. And so I think it's important to have the vision and the plan. But when challenges come up, when things change, we make the best of that, we make the right adjustments, and then we keep moving forward. Andy, it's superb advice, right? It's just uh, set your priorities in life. I like how you were vulnerable enough to talk about how your own career had to kind of be put on hold because you were, you were, you were given a, a massive curveball in your own health and that your health and your relationships needed to take precedence. Uh, in your book, you have a couple of big tenets, right? One is having a vision for your career. Another one you talk about is the value of purpose and that is connecting your career to your purpose. And I wanna challenge you on that because philosophically it makes all the sense in the world. But I'll hmm. tell you, I'm 54 years old. I've spent nearly three decades in what is the most prominent, trusted leadership firm in the world, with Dr. Covey himself mentoring me and leading me for much of that journey. Hmm. I have no idea what my purpose is. I have no idea. I mean, I was single until I was 41. I'm now 54, hmm. been married for three or for 13 years. We have three sons. I think my purpose has now evolved into launching these three boys to be gentlemen in a tough world, but it's maybe more my duty than it is my purpose. I have no idea what my purpose is. I, I, know, what my, I know what brings me joy, what brings me yep. um, pain. I know what bores me and challenges me, but um, I always kind of frustrate, I find it frustrating when, when successful people say something like, just find your joy and you'll never right. work a day in your life. It's like, you know what? Stop talking to me because that's not realistic. Talk about how does someone find their purpose and perhaps more importantly, connect their purpose to their career? Yeah, I, I love that question because I think you are absolutely representing the thoughts of many people out there who are like hearing a lot of the chatter on the internet and other places about find your passion or follow your, you know, define this grand purpose and follow that and you'll be so happy in your career. Um, first of all, when it comes to the passion thing, uh, I've always kind of... Uh, backed away from that as well. You know, you hear people say, follow your passion and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, what if your passion is painting or, uh, you know, weaving or knitting and it, you find it doesn't really pay very much, right? You got to be realistic about what you're going and what you're doing with your career. I'm a bigger fan of following your curiosity, right? So thinking about what are you curious about? What do you want to learn more about? What do you want to try doing? We talked earlier about living life for you. What are the things you want to try? Especially if in your, you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you're still very early in your career. You have an opportunity to try different things, even in your 50s, right? At your age, Scott, you have still plenty of time, I think, to try and do lots of different things. So I think it's more important to be thinking about curiosity. When it comes to purpose, um, you know, first of all, I saw you had 
the book Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty on the wall behind you. I mean, he's certainly, I think, more of the expert out there on finding your purpose. I've heard him speak and read that book and, and gained a lot of value from it. Uh, when I talk about purpose, I think it's not about defining some grand purpose for like, why are you here on this earth? But it's more about being able to answer the question, why are you pursuing the goal, the vision or goals that you're pursuing? And why are you showing up to work every day, right? So I would ask you, Scott, you know, you're doing all these things. You're in this really cool, fun position running these podcasts for Franklin Covey. You're writing books. You're compiling information from people. You're spreading so much information and inspiration for everybody out there. Why do you do it, right? And I would I would hope that you have, I won't put you on the spot, but I you hope can. you have an answer, you can. right? Okay, go ahead. So why do you do those things, Scott? Why do you do what you do? Well, a couple of things, right? I'm actually a very pragmatic person. And I take my role as provider to my family very responsibly. I have four people who are 100% dependent upon me for most everything in their life. Three boys and my mm -hmm. spouse, who is a full-time mom and house manager. So one is provider. I have to earn a living. The second is uh, I've spent most of my early career, the first half of my life, if you will, or a little more, having the spotlight turned on me. Maybe I went out there and turned it on me, quite frankly. And now I want to spend the second half of my spotlight, my life, metaphorically, um, turning the spotlight on others. I believe that I am a good aggregator, a good pollinator. And so I want to give as much spotlight to as many great thought leaders like yourself as possible in the positional power I have here in this podcast and as an author. I think I'm a good aggregator. So I'm putting that maybe learned skill. I'm not sure how much of a passion it is as it mm. is something that I can do that people are interested in and it pays. And I found that kind of nexus, but I think it's to be a pollinator of other people's ideas. I, I love that. I mean, I think that's a great purpose right there. You have a purpose to provide for your family and to uh, put, you know, increase the spotlight on other thought leaders and spread great ideas, pollinate great ideas out in the world, as you mentioned. You know, I think it's as simple as asking yourself, why do I do what I do? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people, if you ask a lot of people that, they'll say, you know, if I ask, why do you go to work every day? They'll say, well, because they pay me. And my response to that is usually, well, you probably have other options. So why are you doing this thing? And if you have a vision or goals, why are you going after that goal? And one of the big reasons I think to really reflect on that and internalize and, and find an answer is that if you are working on a big goal, you do have big ambitions, that big vision that we talked about, when those challenges come up and they will, that why, that purpose will help drive you to keep going when times get tough, right? It's the same thing when you set a goal to go to the gym five days a week and then you feel tired at the end of the day. Are you just going because you feel like you should or do you have a clear why, like you're getting ready for beach season or a wedding or you wanna be in better shape to run around with your kids? you know, longer until they're out of the house, right? And I have two kids, a wife and two kids as well. And uh, my purpose is to love and support my family, to provide for them, uh, to continue to learn and grow and improve, and to continue to spread information and inspire other people to take more ownership of their careers and life uh, so that I can make a greater impact on the world. Andy, I'm noticing our time. I wanna pivot now to the value of networking, which is not a new idea. Everybody right. understands the value of it. Some of us are naturally better at it than others. Some of us are not better at it than others. We just understand the need of it more, so we move outside of our comfort zone. I don't mm -hmm. know that people are naturally great networkers by, by, by talent or by strategy. Some are extroverts, some are introverts. Some, like me, are actually introverts masquerading as extroverts because we know the value of doing that. 
Talk about how you approach networking. I know you to be a very abundant person. I know you from social media and other friends that know you to be a person that believes you need to make investments in others and not expect anything in return. In, in, a, in a post-pandemic world where we're all working in different hybrid, virtual, in-person environments, has the value of networking changed and has the process of networking changed? Ah, it's an interesting question. So as you mentioned, like the, the concept of networking and the value of networking, this is, there's nothing new, right? Dale Carnegie wrote about this in the 1930s. I got really serious about networking after I read a book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi in 2005, yep. you know, 17 years ago. I read it. And uh, yeah, great book, right? And it's, as I tell people, uh, still relevant today, although a little dated. He talks about his BlackBerry. It's obviously pre-social media, um, but there's some great concepts in there. And that really inspired, motivated me as someone who grew up as a very shy kid who talked to very few people. Uh, you know where I went to high school down the street for where you went to school. And I had five friends. Um, but things opened up for me when I got to college. And then after I read that book and I went to business school, I went on a mission to just meet as many people as I could and get to know as many people and just be really intentional about it. And what I found is, first of all, the results have been incredible. I mean, I think about all the things that I've achieved in my career, uh, almost all of them, the jobs, business opportunities, you name it, uh, even you know, being on this show comes back I mean, to networking. The possibilities that will Imagine flow from now being connected to me. Hopefully somebody, one of your many, many listeners will reach out and will make a new connection as a result. Um, but so many opportunities have come from connections, from networking. The thing is, it's, it's never been more important than it is right now to make connections because, you know, while... It's easier to apply for jobs online. We've got LinkedIn. We've got all kinds of things going on, right? The, the technology and a lot of things in the working world have changed. The fact still remains that people prefer to hire uh, people who are, you know, referrals, right? People that they know or referrals from people on their team because it's just easier, right? It's easier to go get a job when you have a referral into a company for a job or a business opportunity. Now, what's changed, of course, as you mentioned, is the way we work. We're in more of we're in the post-pandemic world. We're in more of a hybrid world. Lots of people working remotely. As a result, I think it requires people to be more intentional, right? Because maybe for many of the days of just hanging out in the the break room at the office or going to happy hour with coworkers, um, those might be behind us, right? So we got to be more intentional in reaching out to people proactively and saying, "Hey, Scott, I saw you work." you know, Franklin, you know, in the company and we haven't ever talked before, you know, can we grab a coffee or a virtual coffee sometime and get to know each other? Uh, so we got to be more intentional with reaching out to people. And then the other thing that uh, I talk with people about a long time, that's all the time that served me well. Um, and that I think especially is important for uh, those like you, Scott, who consider themselves introverts, maybe they're not running to jump into the big room full of people, uh, is to lead with curiosity, right? So take off the pressure of, trying to go around entertaining everybody, regaling people with stories, uh, and just be curious, lean into curiosity, ask people questions, get to know people. Uh, you know, Dale Carnegie said in the 1930s that everybody's favorite word is their name and everybody's favorite subject is themselves. I think it's still true today. So get to know people and then lead with kindness, generosity, providing value, as we talked about earlier. I'm a big, big fan and proponent of that, as you mentioned, of giving without any expectations. So don't ever keep score but always look for ways to give value to people around you. And I find that as I keep doing that, whether you call it karma or anything else, it just keeps coming back to me in kind. And I've just had so many opportunities come my way from yeah. relationships. And it's not 
and I don't want to, you know, be like, I'm just taking all the time because I'm always looking for ways to help people around me, to give, to make connections that are going to help other people. Um, and I see that coming back to me as well. And I see how it's paid off for so many other people and friends in my network uh, who have gotten better jobs and business opportunities, all these things and gotten things done um, just from having conversations and getting to know people. So I just think it's as powerful and important as it ever has been. Uh, we just need to shift a little bit how we do it, get a little bit more intentional, use more tools like LinkedIn and Zoom and video platforms where we might have been easily meeting up with people in person in the office before. Andy, maybe a final topic here. Again, not a new topic, but a no less relevant one is your brand. Yeah. Is everyone has a brand. It's either accidental or it's intentional. You've either created it through neglect or through intentional behaviors. Before we uh, brought you on air today, I was asking one of our producers, uh, what, what does he think he's known for? He used to report to me, now we work as colleagues in this podcast. He works here at Franklin Covey, about a decade in the firm. Very talented, technical person, great project planner, a bit of a MacGyver, if you will, lots of broad skills. I'd say maybe a little bit of an introvert, but not noticeably one. And I said, hey, what is your brand? And he said to me, I actually asked him, what is he known for? Like, like, what are you known for? And I may have caught him off guard, but he said, gosh, you know, I don't really know. He thought about it. I kind of pressed him as I do. Okay, I'm an extrovert. Let's just admit it. Um, I pressed him and he said, gosh, I don't really know. And as I was miking myself up, I like rattled off five things he's known for. And his co-producer mm. rattled off three things he was known for. One of them was this guy, a bit of a curmudgeon, but he sees things through the end. Like he never bails halfway. He never bails out. He doesn't spike the ball at the two-yard line. He always runs it to the end zone. It's one of his, it's his brand. Now, I think he created that um, subconsciously, intentionally, but I want to ask you, what are some of the best ways for people to learn what their brand is? Is it the brand they want? And what are some ways to maybe rehabilitate or create a brand that's going to help be a better asset for you in your career? And I say rehabilitate because all of us have some aspect of our brand is that we don't want. So take that wherever sure. you'd like to go. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it, right? A personal brand is essentially your reputation. It's what people think and say about you, what they feel about you. And we're always making these micro impressions and judgments of people all the time. It's a natural psychological phenomenon. And therefore, we have a reputation and a brand, whether we're intentional about it or not. So my thing is I want people to just be a little more thoughtful, more intentional about their brand. Now, it doesn't mean being fake, right? I'm a big fan of authenticity. So I want people to show up and, and be yourselves. But I think we can also be very mindful about how we're showing up and the brand that we're portraying. So you might already be developing a great brand by showing up and, and doing great work and seeing things through like your colleague. Um, what I advocate for is being mindful about the brand. So asking yourself, what do I want my brand to stand for? What do I think my brand stands for? And how can I show up in alignment with that? And then checking in on a regular basis and ask, have I been showing up in alignment with my brand? For instance, if I say that my brand is about kindness and generosity and connecting and helping people, which I believe it is, and then I can check in with myself and ask, have I been kind and generous to people lately? Have I been making connections or have I just been keeping to myself and taking care of myself, which is okay, but I got to think about what that brand stands for. The other thing that you touched on there that I think is really important is you're right. A lot of people don't really know what their brand is and they don't recognize a lot of times what their strengths are. So I think it's important to go get feedback when we can from 
other people, from our colleagues, our manager. As you mentioned, if you ask people, you know, what, what is my brand? What am I known for? What do you see as my strengths? And we're often surprised because we don't give ourselves enough credit for the strengths we have. We often assume, I think, that when we're good at, if we're good at something, then probably everybody's good at it, right? If I'm good at hosting a show, then anybody could come do this. Um, obviously not anybody could do what you do, Scott. You do amazing work over there uh, with this show and everything else that you do. Um, but a lot of people just uh, kind of expect or assume that if they do something well, anybody else can do it. Meanwhile, all their colleagues are looking at them going, you're amazing at this. I have, I have no idea. I couldn't do the things that you do. And I think we need to get that feedback and accept that. And then we can, allow, we can build that into more of the work we do, the brand we're developing, and then be mindful about how we're showing up because you're building the brand in how you're showing up at work, what type of work you're taking on, how you're interacting with your colleagues and other people, um, how you react in, to certain situations, how you handle things that come up. Uh, that's in the workplace. And then you're also building your brand online, right, as well. You and I are both pretty active on LinkedIn, on social media. You have an opportunity to build your brand when you share content, when you comment on other people's feeds, when you connect with people and you, um, you know, support them in different ways. People tend to notice that stuff. And you can quickly become known for certain things if you're often sharing information about it or you're helping other people in that field. And so the whole thing, it's all about building awareness and just being more mindful and intentional about the brand that we're putting out there. And that starts with getting that feedback and then asking yourself, what is the brand that I want to have? What is the brand that I want to portray? And, and am I acting in alignment with that? Andy, I think it's such an important point to uh, revisit. And that is one of a leader's most vital responsibilities to, is to give people feedback on their own blind spots. That requires you to move outside of your comfort zone and discuss, discuss sometimes the undiscussables and help people even rehabilitate their brands. And as equally, I think it's important that as leaders, as peers, as friends, is to also help people name what is their brand. Now, whether or not my colleague agrees with me, I can assure you he's never going to forget that an hour ago I said to him, when I think of you, your key brand is, is you never spike the ball in the second yard line. You always run it to the end zone. You finish. He finishes. Yeah. And I think it's a differentiator. Now, whether or not he agrees, he will never forget that. And I'll bet you, like most of us, when someone names for us what our brand is, hopefully it's a positive thing, we, become to own, we come to own that and have some yep. confidence in that and, and, and kind of even double down on that. So I appreciate that you wrote extensively about how important it is to work on your brand. Andy Storch, I'm delighted to have met you. I feel like we've been friends all of our life, but we've never met from the same hotel. Uh, hopefully our paths will cross again. I'm, I'm delighted to have also followed your health journey on social media and that uh, you're uh, not just alive and thriving, but well. Your book is Own Your Career, Own Your Life, Stop Drifting, and Take Control of Your Future. Andy Storch, thanks for joining us today. Scott Manero, thank you so much for having me on. I am very grateful for the opportunity, and I look forward to continuing our friendship, our relationship, and talking more in the future. The same with, same with me. Thank you, Andy. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. <laughs>